so happy to have uh, uh, Pastor and Sister Elms with us tonight from uh, South Florida, pastor of the Great Cathedral of Pentecost in the Fort Lauderdale area, and uh, been a great part of uh, helping us to plan our WINS conference and partnering together with us on so many different ministry opportunities. Uh, they're great friends, and also they're no strangers to this church. And uh, so we are so thankful that they are with us on a Wednesday night. We call this our midweek miracle. Amen. And so we ask Brother Elms to come and just share with us tonight whatever the Lord has put on his heart. We want him to come and uh, to be uh, free to speak whatever uh, he feels the liberty and what God has put in his spirit. I think the youth and the children are being dismissed. College career is staying here and any of the other groups that uh, can stay here in the main auditorium, we invite you to do so. Amen. God bless you. Uh, Pastor David Elms from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. God bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord, everyone. It's such a joy to be with you in the Lord's house tonight. It was uh, uh, an honor of mine to have Brother Myers ask me. I was not coming to preach, but uh, he extended the invitation, and I was honored to accept. Um, what an amazing church this is church that have those kind of people in it, whether the spotlight is on or not, they're in business for Jesus Christ. I extend great uh, appreciation to Bishop Myers and Dr. Myers and the faithful labor of love that they have carried on for many, many years. And I must be honest with you, it was a very large hesitation in my spirit to speak tonight because I have been following Brother Myers' teaching. And it has been so awesome watching him teach, tuning in online. I have done it. And I watch him sit at that little table and use that little fancy new version of an overhead projector and have his little pencil he places right there so you can let you know where he's at right now. And I've followed along, and it's just such a dynamic uh, moment to hear people who have labored in the Word of God with such clarity of mind, concision of speech, and steadfastness of purpose to where there's no bending. There's not going to be uh, a tearing away of this house. Uh, you know, the Bible speaks of in the last days that we should be wary of those who are carried about with every wind of doctrine. And it would happen because we are not established by sound doctrine. And so there's nothing that can replace a midweek Bible study upon which we stand and build our church. I will tell you, I'm not intending to talk long tonight, but I do have something I feel like the Lord placed in my spirit uh, to share with you with regard to um, this church. I'm going to speak on the subject the essential response to abundance and anointing. The essential response to abundance and anointing. How many want anointing? How many want abundance? I'm in a church that knows collectively abundance, but we all know that there are times that even though the collective might have a, a flow of abundance, it doesn't mean that I feel at this particular moment that abundance is flowing in my life. Therefore, we've got to offer to you not only systems, but also strategies, or not just one of the two, 
whereby you can track your response to abundance and anointing. So that it is not just a lucky thing that comes our way, or it's not just a seasonal thing that comes our way, but we have so positioned ourselves to where it is a usual flow that abundance and anointing comes our way. And that only comes by assessing things that matter. And that's what I want to do. I'm inviting your attention to Psalm number 48 tonight. This is one of the songs that was written for the sons of Korah, a particularly unique and special group of singers and worshipers uh, that just the study of the songs written for Korah's boys is enough to spend all the rest of this week on. But we're just going to look at 48 and by the grace of God, try to break out something that is uh, palpable and you can carry with you because I'm wanting to drill down and give you something that will ride with you to work tomorrow. The essential response to abundance and anointing. Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. In the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. (laughs) The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it. And so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there, and pain as of a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of our Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it, somebody say forever. Then somebody say Selah. Think about it for a minute. We have thought... Somebody else say, think about it. Listen, I purposefully brought no notes. I am going to do my best to not get too wound up tonight. We have thought of thy loving kindness. Oh God, in the midst of the temple, according to thy name, oh God, so is thy praise. Unto the ends of the earth, thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion. Here we go. This is my text. It's really simple. Really simple. It's right here. uh, The end of 48. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces. That, that ye may be able to tell it to the generations following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, my strength and my redeemer. For these thy people have come into this house tonight to receive, not personality, not principles, not precepts, but power. 
You did not promise principles on the day of Pentecost. You did not promise precepts on the day of Pentecost. But you did say dunamis would come into the place. Let there be a power that saturates this sanctuary. Fills our minds. Captures our heart. Enlivens our dreams. Let it be so real that we are lost in the moment. Because of your glory that fills the house. I ask this in Jesus name. I honor every one of you for being in the house of God tonight. It is one of the adjustments of this new era. Knowing that every service is broadcast. And because of that, the first uh, while at our church, we had church, I'm sure you all did, with no one in the house. And it was so difficult as a minister, and I'm sure it was on the band and the singers, to sing and minister to an empty house. Uh, There is to be a symbiosis that occurs between the pulpit and the pew. The whole guidance of God's way is a a back and forth between people who have seen his glory. Uh, They have called it a call and response style of church. But that's way too shallow of an interpretation. Because the glory happens not when one speaks, but when both speak. When I say something and your spirit lights up, you can't just sit on that. You have something rise up in you. It's like a, uh, the Lord calls it a well of living water. It springs up in you and it's hard to hold a response. And so they call it Pentecostal style. It's not a style. It's a reality of life that when you have been in his presence, you can't turn it down. You can't tap it off. It it springs up. In fact, they wrote songs about it like spring up, oh, well, within my soul. Spring up, oh, well, and make me whole. I knew I would request myself to sing some tonight. Spring up, oh, well, flow out through me. Spring up, oh well, set others free. I do not come to the house of God just to sit around and look around and check all you out. (laughs) Slow down, bud. And so what I admire about the folks who come on a Tuesday night to fill the house, I love every one of you who have gone through the great measure of tuning in. But one of the things as a pastor that I've discovered is that people are much more quick to excuse themselves if something may have bumped off their schedule and staying home. And while I'll preach and love them just the same, those of you that have walked in, you know what it tells me now? I used to appreciate you before we had every service broadcast, but I appreciate you even more now because you walked past the temptation to sit on your couch with the bowl of Kellogg's and be in attendance. God bless all you with Kellogg's, but there's something about the sanctuary of the Lord among the saints of the Most High God that must be treasure. It must be threatened. If there's anything that drives Bishop Myers, and I, I want to say this, I, I want to speak a moment about your pastor. Uh, the last two times I've been here, I have honored so many people, and I didn't honor David Ellis Myers. And when I left, I felt such condemnation because I'm so honored to call this man my personal friend. I'm telling you, on the tip of my tongue is the word best friend. 
It's right on the tip of my tongue. I'm not letting it out because I don't want to just throw that around. But I'm telling you, there, there has been a, a, a communion of spirit and heart that the Lord has, has caused to occur from me. I'm not going to speak for them, but from me and my wife to your pastor and his wife. And it's not a matter of just enjoyment and good laughs. And we do that because there's going to be tons of it in heaven. But it's an appreciation of vision. It's an appreciation of love for the word. And I want to honor you, David Ellis Myers, pastor of this church. I want to honor you, Amy Lou Myers. Is that the right middle name? That's the one I call her, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I want to extend my appreciation to both you two. I love you all. I've loved you in the past. I loved you in, when I was in the valley, and uh, you guys brought me through. Hallelujah. Give them honor. Isn't, isn't, aren't they worthy? One of the things that drives inside the heart of a pastor is we want to get you home. We're not certain how much we want you to be fans of us, but if you can be one that gets all the way home, then when we see glory and watch you stand before the grace of God and him say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I cannot tell you how much in our spirit as, as pastors, as overseers, really pastor is the wrong word. The word biblical, the biblical word is bishop, uh, that, that, that overseer of God's heritage. Uh, when we watch that day, I cannot, I, I cannot tell you the joy that's going to flow from our heart. When you have crossed over all the hills and valleys and things you know that your pastor knows about you, that nobody else knows about you, because you've been in the valley together, you've walked through the face of Goliath together, you've walked through the time of loss and sickness together, and you make it home. Not only in the heart of a shepherd is the presence of appreciation for those in the house, but there is something very real about the, the absence of some in the house. World War II, they put committees together to try to assess the effectiveness of our weaponry. And as they begin to assess the bomb bombers as they come back from battle, they begin to notice there were certain patterns on bombers that made it back from the chafing and all the the, uh, the fire that came uh, from the ground up to the bombers. And there were sections on the plane that were more riddled with bullets than other sections. And so the initial finding of this committee of weaponry effectiveness was that wherever the bullets are hitting, there must be a visual something about hitting those spots. And they tracked these spaces on the bombers and they said our, our, our desire to make our weaponry more safe for the soldiers is we need to put more armor in the areas that are hit until a man by the name of Abraham Welf. Uh, you, you may know him, a Hungarian-born Jew, a mathematician, stepped up and he said, I think we're going about this backwards. I think we are looking at a process that we're only analyzing the planes that make it back. And uh, Abraham Welp said, uh, we should not analyze the planes that are making it back because the ones that make it back are the ones who were able to make it back. What we need to do is not put extra armor on the spots that uh, the holes that the plumbers have that come back. We need to put armor on the areas where there was no bullet holes on the ones that made it home. Because the ones that didn't make it home are the ones that failed on the way. 
And so through that, this man saved thousands of soldiers' lives by assessing not the analytics of the planes that made it back, but the analytics of the planes that did not finish. When your pastor walks into this pulpit, all he wants to do is get you across the finish line. And he's continually trying to construct the teaching and the preaching and bring in ministries and callings that are powerful enough to fuel you up. And when Bishop Meyer sits at his fancy table with his white tablecloth and the pin he slaps down right, zop! All he's wanting to do is get you across the finish line. As I approach the subject of uh, the essential, I can't even remember my title. I should have wrote it down. The essential responsibility to anoint, uh, abundance and anointing. Is it written down? There it is. The essential response. I've never preached this before. Uh, it doesn't make me special. Uh, essential response to abundance and anointing. As I look at this, our desire is to help you make it. There's two cities in your Bible that uh, uh, I'm going to uh, tap into to speak to us tonight. One is Rome, uh, in Revelation, the third chapter, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. You know the seven churches of Asia. The last one is the church of Laodicea. The church at Laodicea is a church that is marked because the Lord says something that it, it haunts all of our mind. You are not whole, cold or hot, but since you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. And as a kid growing up in the church, I used to think it's either better to be on fire for God, and that's hot, or completely backslid. That's cold. But if you're kind of in between, the Lord's going to say, I can't take it like that. And maybe none of y'all have ever thought of it in that manner. But the more you dig in there and you'll understand the geology of the territory around Laodicea. Laodicea had a problem as a city. As a city, it had it did not have its own water source. And so it had to bring its water from 10 miles away from the city. It brought my, a water from Colossae, and the water from Colossae was very known for its cold, its chill. And then there was another source for water that came, and it was more of a hot springs idea. By the time these two waters that fed the city of Laodicea got there, they weren't cold nor hot. They were uh, in between. It wasn't the problem that the water's cold got there mixed with the warm and it became lukewarm. It was in my mind, and this is what I feel the Holy Ghost is trying to tell us about Laodicea. It wasn't nearly a matter of the geography of the plumbing of the city. It was the fact that the people had forgotten something very important. And that was they had forgotten that the ways of God are worth minding. And if anything, water is useful to do a few things. One thing water is useful for is when you heat it, it's for purifying and washing. It is better for medical purposes when you bring it hot. When you bring water cold, it's better for refreshment and welcoming. 
It means I have prepared for you. Would you like a cold glass of water? And the marked characteristic of the city of Laodicea was that Jesus spoke through his servant and said, tell the angel of Laodicea that you are rich, abundance, and increased with goods, anointing. You have need of nothing, but you think that's all you need. But because you're, you, you've gone around thinking that I've got it all, you are in my vision. This wasn't man's vision. Listen, the city of Laodicea was known for trading in black wool. It was known for being a banking center of the area. You needed a loan, you go to Laodicea. It had all kinds of strength and wealth and prestige in the world in that day. But this process that God was speaking in the spirit was not to the people of Laodicea. It was to the church of Laodicea. And the problem with the church was they had somewhere forgotten, in my mind, they had forgotten that you are not here just for your comfort. You have stopped keeping the warm water hot, whereby people can know they have been brought to health and cleansing. And you have stopped keeping the cold water cold, whereby you have a disposition towards welcoming and refreshment. You just said, well, I got it like that. So you're going to take whatever we've got instead of a spirit of anticipation, instead of a spirit of preparation, instead of realizing somebody's sick might come to us. You haven't kept any of the water warm for cleansing. Instead of thinking maybe a weary traveler will come our way. You haven't prepared any water cold for refreshing. You just said, come whatever, we got just water left out and here, whatever you got. It was a disposition more than it was a problem with the plumbing. And so when I think of how to keep you living for God in a church like this, and I know you know this is a very good church. I'm not going to say great because I don't like that thing. I don't like the word great too much. (laughs) About time somebody starts thinking they're great, I just want to say great is the Lord. (laughs) Greatly to be praised. (laughs) That's what I want to say. He's the great one. We're just chasing after the mighty king of glory. But when I see this, this anticipation that has been neglected, Laodicea, he said, "I I would, you were just cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. Now, out of all the variable responses of that scripture, when I study the plumbing and geological truths of that city and try to say, what are you saying here, Lord? I just want it to go into my spirit and say, maybe there's a preparation that must occur. Uh, Professor Woolley is her name. She's a professor, uh, I believe it's a university in Canada. She studies um, finches and... In the study of finches, whether it's scissor tail finches or zebra finches, different finches, this is a bird that has a dynamic song. But in the study of animals, there's no animals that can learn from singing an eight cant. Only humanity uh, is gifted to learn from singing. But finches do. Their, their mind is wired to learn from a song. And 
In the study of finches, these, uh, the professors discovered that deep in the mind of these birds, uh, they both learn from a song. And the, the boys, the little boy birds, the baby boys, uh, they listen to their daddy sing. Their dad sings very powerfully and has a dynamic and specific song to each bird. They all have a song. And the boy will listen intently and he'll try to imitate it. And within the first several months of a bird's life, it is put into a finch how to sing. And if they haven't paid attention to the song of their daddy, then later on, a Professor Woolley has discovered is their life is not successful. They cannot find a partner and these birds mate for life. They get one uh, partner and they mate for life. And so they're very unsuccessful. Their life is a wreck. They're like a nervous bottle of nothing, just flying everywhere. But this Professor Woolley says it's just like they just can't get it together because they didn't pay attention to their daddy's song. She says that the, the girl birds do it as well, but they don't learn by practicing daddy's song, but they learn by listening to daddy's song because how they hear their daddy's song determines who they will choose as a mate for life. And the science of this study blows my mind because they've determined that if a bird is within the sound of his father's voice, but is raised by a different species, even though it's within proximity of its father's song, If it's raised by another species of bird, then that bird will not learn the proper song and will not be able to find a mate because it has not been attuned to the preciseness, the clarity, the certainty of a song to be sung like their daddy sang. In Psalm 48, one of these great psalms written for the sons of Korah, we find a lot of shout material. I couldn't hardly read it to you for getting to the shout material. But one of the remarked characteristics of this song is that there is an assignment. This song was written by, I believe, David and specifically for these sons of Korah. It may not have been David. I'm not going to fuss with you about it. It made heaven's songbook. And as they get there, there is an assignment. And the rabbis tell us that the assignment is an annual event that was to be conducted by the serious people of Jerusalem. I'm asking you to journey from Laodicea to Jerusalem. And the Lord tells these men, when you sing, here's what I want you to sing. Verse 9, we have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of the temple. In the midst of the temple, we have thought of thy loving kindness. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. And let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Now is the assignment. This is the essential response. To abundance and anointing. Jerusalem, if you've been honored to go there, and I went with your church uh, a few years ago, and what a great time we had with Edo and all of the precious people who were blessed to be on that trip. What an memorable time it was. Only problem was Brother Richie's dancing on Mount Temple Mount. That got over the top, but other than that, we're fine. Um, he walked out on me. There he is. Oh, you went back. It's a safer zone. This is a Shamu zone up here. 
This is where you might get wet. Uh, no. <laughs> it's a different place now. It's a very dry land. But in the days of David, it was not dry at all. Many people have wondered how... Solomon's temple was constructed where it was. If you've ever been to Temple Mount, you see Mount, you see the valley that goes down there and down at the bottom, uh, the 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 bottom of the city. The uh, it's not it. It's more the western or the eastern side of the city. When I see the visual of this layout, the, the eastern side, no, the eastern gates up here. So it would be east. It would be the south. No, what's east? Yeah, south. The south side of the city is where the pool of Siloam was. There was a spring there that ran with powerful force. In fact, they have discovered a lot of aqueducts that could move thousands of gallons of water from that, that well, that spring that came up there. And that spring could carry all those gallons of blood that you read about from Solomon's temple. That they didn't have to go far to get that blood away because the power force of that spring was in at the time when Solomon and David lived in that city. And the force of those waters go went plunging through there. Well, in that time of Jerusalem, the Lord is saying, I want you to notice something about Jerusalem. If you're going to understand that you have your city, you have Zion, Mount Zion. It, it, it's, it, it, it's, it was higher than it is right now. When Titus tore down the temple block by block, he also leveled a great amount of Mount Zion. So what you see now is not the way it was when David and Solomon were in that city and Saul had it. It was an amazing flourishing mountain with water plunging through it. They had built this city and the Lord told them every year, here's what you need to do. You need to walk around this mountain. You need to go around this city, go around her and then tell about her towers. That you gotta tell it. This isn't just for you to know. This is for you to convey to your children and then tell your children's children about these towers. And then mark ye well her bulwarks and consider her palaces. Three points that I think you need to see whenever you learn how to respond to God when you're in the midst of abundance and anointing. First of all, the tower represents we have extra. We've got extra energy to build high. We've got extra energy to look out. We need a place that we can build for vision. Whenever you have the money to build a tower, you mean you're showing that you've got the strength, the fortitude, and the vision to build a tower. A tower speaks far more than just a high place in the city. When you put it up, it's symbolizing I've got a reach that's going up. I want you to tell about the towers. Talk about why the people of God would put towers up. Secondly, mark well her bulwarks. The Hebrew word there is ramparts or ramps. A tower speaks to the reach up for vision. 
Bulwarks or ramparts. When you enter a city, I know you think that's wall, but the Hebrew word there is not just the walls of the city. It's literally the extensions that when you are in battle, you raise them. When you want to welcome guests and kings or all kinds of friends, you lower the ramparts. The ramparts are the first part that speak about battle. They're the first thing that says we've got expression of expectation. The ramparts mean we have prepared for your arrival and we have also prepared for your safety. The ramparts were expressions of success. And when you had ramparts and when you had those essential buildings that express, we've got places of entrance and places of exit. It means you have planned for something grand. And he said, Mark, well, look at them. Appreciate them. Understand what they mean. And then you are to go and consider her palaces. The palaces, the Hebrew word is that that's the inside buildings of the city. This is the place where we're going to keep those who are kept. This is where our kids are going to play on the floor and it'll be safe. This is the place we care for our sick and we care for our vulnerable and we care for our night hours and we care for our morning breakfasts. The palaces have expression of all kinds of anticipation. And he said, I want you to look at these three things and tell it. Tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever. He will ever be our guide. What does a tower and a rampart and a palace have to do with guidance? I believe it is the expression of God's people of anticipation. That when we walk into abundance and when we walk into anointing, We're not ever going to get so caught up that we think it's all about us. Unlike Laodicea, we are going to make sure that this house is always ready for anybody who comes here sick. If they've got an open wound, this place has hot water waiting. If they need washing, this place has hot water waiting. How do you get hot water? Well, it's the anticipation of God's people. I know I'm speaking metaphorically, but I pray you can go with me and see how this is a spiritual understanding that must happen in the house. There's got to be ushers that are waiting and greeters that are waiting. Why? Because not only do we have hot water for the wounded, but we got cool water for refreshment. Instead of flies being in the apothecary, somebody has been minding the store, taking care of preparation. It's not we'll get it hot when you figure out what you need. No, it's already ready right now. We've got hot water tonight if you're dirty and you need to be cleaned. This church's anticipation, the cleansing of your spirit. Or maybe a medical situation in your soul. We've got ready water for that. If you need washing or or cleansing and refreshing, we've got it like that. Why? Because we have considered towers, which are upreach. We have considered ramparts, which are the welcoming of touch of the house of the Lord. Consider her palaces, how she cares for her own. Why are there breakout sessions tonight? Because we're, we're trying to care for our own. We're trying to reach them on their level. 
why do you have the 30 minutes of prayer? And, and I love how there's a countdown on all the sessions and, and the focuses for those, those, that prayer session. What is that? That's anticipation. We don't know how you're going to arrive, but we've got something for that. What do you need? We've got something for that. Because we do not just live on, well, if I need it, I'll pray up for it. Oh, God, help us never just get spiritual when our child's the one backsliding. Lord, help us not just get desperate to fast when our marriage is falling apart. Lord, never let us become that church that's never worried about what's happening on Friday night until it's our grandchildren that were just caught smoking crack. And now we're worried about Friday night. What you doing, brother, brother Myers? What you got to prepare for our kids? What it only hit you when your grandson all of a sudden came home with crack? Oh Lord, the apostolic movement has got to understand. Mark ye well her towers. Tell about why we got them. Tell about her ramparts. The reason why we have a place to prepare for the coming in and the going out. Consider her palaces. Look at how there's preparation and there's, there's prayer and there's worship. And there's all kinds of things where we have not just got caught up in what Abraham Welp called survivorship bias. The planes that made it back that they thought we can learn by the bullets in that. Put the armor where there's no bullet holes because apparently... Or I mean, where there's a lot of bullet holes, because apparently that's what they see. He said, wait, you're thinking backwards. They made it home. There's a bunch of planes that didn't make it home. The bullets must be hitting the spots that these aren't getting hit. For those to come in, they strengthened the wings. And they strengthened the nose. And they strengthened the tail. The main thrust of the bullets were hit in the center section. In other sections, they mapped it out literally with red dots. And they called it survivorship bias. God help the apostolic church of this last hour. Help East Wind Pentecostal Church with all the things that we admire and appreciate that God has done here. Never get us thinking that it was built for us whenever we have an emergency moment. That when Bishop Myers sits up here and points out why we don't believe in predestination. And why we believe in doctrine. And why we're going to teach the things of the oneness of God. When he does that, that's not so that you can get excited. That survivorship bias. If you're waiting for a preacher to come and hit a curiosity of yours. No, we've got to prepare people that when they walk away from from this place, they will have something substantial. Why don't we stand together right now? I think there's a prayer I heard to be cried out in this house. I think there's some prayer fires that have been that have been burning. Oh Lord, help me to love more. Help me, oh Lord, to see your towers and remember why we built them. Help me, Jesus. I want to understand why it's so important that we greet and we love and we welcome and we have bulwarks around about and ramparts around about us hallelujah there's a cry to be heard 
There's a cry to be heard in this last day. If Laodicea was the last church written to, is it possible that that coincides with the hour in which you and I are called to be a part of? Rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But I'll tell you what's wrong with you. You think you've got it all, but you're naked because you don't understand the things that are valuable in my house. So you're just lukewarm. You haven't done anything to have hot water. You have not done anything to make sure sudden there's refreshment in the house. There's renewal in the house. There's welcome in the house. There's anticipation in the house. Oh, Lord, help me to love your towers. Help me to consider your palaces. Help me to look at your ramparts. Let me tell the next generation and the generation after that, there's a reason why we dance. There's a reason why I shout when in the car on the way to church, I had a raging headache and it was about to keep me down. But I know the children's watching. And so I stand up through my headache and I just lift my hands and say, Lord, I'm in the house tonight. I've come to be heard. I've come to offer you my praise in this place. Ah, it's not that I'm going to lean on somebody else. I'm anticipating the sound of prayer, the sound of praise, the sound of hunger, the sound of thirst. Whose song are you learning from? Are you learning from a Laodicean song? Are you learning from the song of Jezebel? Are you learning from the song of Korah? Are you learning from the song of Balaam? Or are you learning from the song of the Zion builder? Whose song am I learning to sing? Am I falling prey to my culture? Or am I swimming against the current and saying, Oh Lord, I've considered your palaces. I've considered your towers. I've considered your ramparts. They were walking away from Mount Zion. It was two of them. We only know one of them's name. Cleopas. They were headed home because it had been a rough week in the Mount Zion. Uh, So as they walked home, a stranger joins them. And you can read of it. Where it's told that as they walked on the way. There's about four or five verses where this stranger asks them, what, what, what's, what's wrong? And Jesus only gets, and you know who the stranger is. He only gets like two verses here. Two verses. There's about four verses of complaint. Uh, just check it out. Map it. Jesus joins. Why, why are you upset? That's all he needed to say. They start spewing. Don't you know? Where have you been? Have you not heard? Are you that daft? Have you not heard what has happened in Jerusalem? And then the Bible says, after they're finished letting Jesus know the problem, 
Bible says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he tells how all the scriptures <laughs> showed about him. They finally get to the house, and I believe it was Cleopas and his wife. The second, we don't know name, but personally, I think it was not a man. I think it was a woman, and I think they were going home. And I think his wife walked in the house, and they said, well, would you, would you like to stop? And the Bible says that Jesus pretended. He's a great pretender. He did it walking on water. He also did it here at their house. He pretended as if he, he would go on. And while he walked on, they said, no, no. We got fresh bread. Will you come and sit down with us? So he acts like, well, I can make arrangements. He goes to sit down. And when he sits down, they, they look around. He, they said, you know, why don't you bless it? He blesses it. And then he breaks it. And after he hands it to them, the Bible said he vanishes out of their sight. And all of that time, they had heard his prophetic doctrine in their head, measuring the accuracy of his explanation. But after he disappeared, they said nothing about what they learned. They said, did not our hearts You can come to this way and learn all the doctrinal reasons. We have towers, palaces, and bulwarks. But if you don't learn the song of the heart, if you don't know heart burning, we will become Laodicea. I feel Jesus. I feel Jesus. I feel Jesus in this place. And my soul does burn with I feel Jesus in this place. I love you. our hands right now in our hearts and receive that word thank you lord for that anointed word let us turn the spotlight on our own hearts lord let us examine ourselves lord let us never lose a sense of appreciation that when we come together we feel your presence that you are here lord that we step into holy places that we stand on holy ground hallelujah that you allow us, Lord, to sup with you and to be one with you, Lord, and to have that fellowship and that harmony, Lord. We, we're so appreciative of it, oh God. In the name of Jesus, we receive this word into our heart and our spirit. Help us, God, to be that church that shows love and appreciation.
not just for you, but for those that you allow us to come in contact with. Let this place, let it be a lighthouse. Let it be a house of refuge where people can come and feel safe and know that here there's a God that will love them and people that will reach for them. In a world that's hurting, Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus. For you said, Lord, if you would be lifted up, you'd draw all men nigh unto you. We lift you up tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Well, thank you, Lord. Aren't you thankful you're a part of the body of Christ? Amen. God bless you.